I like the term visual development, but even that could be misinterpreted. What does visual development mean? It's when the code just makes itself when you stare at the screen. Hello, No Code Nation. I'm Ayush, and you're listening to my No Code Story. And this is not your typical entrepreneurship podcast. Here, you get to listen to real people who are building cool stuff all without writing a single line of code. This is the future of independent entrepreneurship, and you have a front row seat. Before we get into today's episode, I have a request to make. I hope this podcast has helped you discover new stories, people, and frameworks. If you like what you hear, do me a favor and leave a review on your podcast platform of choice. This will help the pod get discovered by more people, and it lets me know that we're on the right track. Now, onto the show. All right, awesome. So let's get into the no-code enterprise acceleration. And I wanted to break this out as a separate topic because the value that enterprises get from some of these no-code implementations of technology is much greater than what you see on the consumer side of things because they have the ability to repackage it, repurpose it, rebrand it per customer and then offer this as a unique custom tool built uh, solution for customers. We talked about AppSheet previously that got acquired by Google in 2021. Amazon has their own no-code solution called Honeycode, which is built on top of uh, AWS. And then obviously there are a ton of enterprise applications for for automation solutions. I know one of the automation darlings is Zapier, right? So everyone talks about Zapier. Yeah, for sure. But if you think about the competitor, the direct competitor to, to Zapier, Integromat, Integromat got rebranded recently uh, to make, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think about that when you saw that come out? Well, I don't think that, I think that that's the product I don't think that that's the company because if I can remember Integromat about two years ago was purchased by a large holding a large company called, was it Solonis? Solonis. Yep. Yep. It was, it was, yeah. So I remember hearing about that and I didn't know where, what that company was, or I had never heard of that before. It was, it's, it was a much larger company, but I think make. I'm not sure, but I think Make is a is that is just a product under uh, Salonis. If I can, if I'm right or wrong, I haven't done all my research, but I think so. Yeah, no, I think you're spot on. So Integromat got rebranded to Make. They got a bunch of fresh colors, purple being one of the ones that is being really used in all of their marketing language. But Salonis was uh, the one that acquired Integromat again yep. in the 2020 timeframe. Mining and software. Exactly. Data mining. That's so they, they do a lot of like process automation. They do supply chain transformation. It's a large, it's a large company. They have, it's a really large company. Yeah. And I think once you start getting into enterprise, the revenue multiples of some of these companies become pretty interesting, but then also the scale of the solutions they enable also becomes interesting because you're solving problems for users that might be part of a multi-billion dollar corporation. And just the scale at which that 
can add value is, is staggering for me. Do you remember some of the other ones that were in sort of the automation space? I can think of some around like Okta and and a few other automation tools. But yeah, I mean, as far as consumer and, and what I've used outside of work would be definitely Integramat and Zapier. But I have definitely in the last couple of years heard of these large enterprise companies that me and you might be more accustomed to working in that environment, like pop up like a service now too with their app engine. I've never used it. I mean, I've used service now as a dashboard because I had to, not because I wanted to, but no offense, but like, it was just more of a, you know, I think connect with connected with like workday, right. Or something like yep. that, like for a dashboard. So it wasn't that I didn't want to use it. It just, it was more of an employee portal for me at the time. But I, I, I do know that it's big into, and it gets kind of complex when you think about the service now and Okta and, and actually what they're doing, because they're, it's more of a, they're not just connecting SaaS, they're connecting platforms as a service, right? Infrastructure. I mean, they're connecting Salesforce with Okta for security, for with ServiceNow, with analytics, deployment of applications. So it does, it does get a little bit complex and not as easy to discuss for sure. But like Okta workflows, I had heard about like through, uh, I think you had him on the podcast, but I remember meeting and talking to him as well. I actually spoke to him as well. I forgot his, I haven't talked to him in a while, so. Arville. Yeah, Arville, yep, Arville, yep. Yeah, yeah, I remember talking, a... I met him and spoke to him briefly and yeah, and I thought that was pretty cool because Okta at the time was in how many enterprise, in order to log in through your enterprise portal on your mobile phone, you had to go through like 50 VPNs with, and then, then you, Okta kind of solved that, right? Where you could do the, it was kind of like Microsoft uh, Access, right? Where you could just, you could verify your credentials to your phone, right? Yep. You could log in. But uh, Okta, yeah, definitely it's interesting that they're getting into the space. I mean, I can definitely see them positioning themselves as a layer for doing so if they, I haven't heard anything in a while about what they're doing. ServiceNow is uh, obviously different than Workday. I think they operate in some in several competing spaces. Oh yeah, but... as, as far as who, what they do, they're, they're different. But I mean, I think they're, as far as like the, they serve ecosystems, it seems like. They serve to where you're, it's kind of like what you said, where enterprises can package it however they need. Yeah. Like Workday is different for every organization. I mean, yeah, the look, it looks the same, but the information and the layout might be a tad different, right? Yep, exactly. And the uh, real interesting thing about enterprise is every single enterprise software company seems to be doing something in the no-code space. Sure. We, we know about some of the acquisitions that we talked about with respect to like Google and so on. But even if you look at one of the ones that got funded recently with Airtable in December of 2021, raising that monster $735 million round or something like that, one of the investors uh, in that round was Salesforce Ventures, right? So Salesforce kind of backing Airtable on the no-code front. They obviously, they have they have their own no-code and low-code solutions. They also completed an acquisition of Tableau in 2019 and then further oh, acquired yeah, yeah. Slack in 2020. So it's just, yeah. it's a juggernaut. I've never used Tableau. I've never used it. Oh, me and my team use it all the time. Uh, but I think, uh, if, am, am, I, am I right when I say that it's similar to like... Uh, Power BI. Yeah, it's it's way more powerful. Like obviously, you can link it up to any kind of database, and uh, you could write queries to pull data in, right. and then visualize it, and then publish it, and stuff like that. So I think they're 
starting to integrate that into their analytics solution right now, Einstein Analytics. But the the other interesting thing that I saw was some of the leadership of these uh, companies, like Bill McDermott was the CEO of SAP. And oh, yeah. uh, he's now the CEO of ServiceNow. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of interesting to see some of that movement happen. And this is again in the 2019, 2020 timeframe. So the acceleration of no-code tech in the enterprise has begun. It's been going on for a while, but it's really, really accelerated in the last three years. Oh yeah. I mean, you, you look at like, like ServiceNow has grown so much. I mean, I, I've definitely in some form or fashion used them as a vendor before in, in my own job. So like I, I you definitely see them for large, large stuff outside of software, even cybersecurity. I mean, you're getting into hardware engineering, like you're in SAP love it or hate it it's been around for years and still being used and i'm talking about not even their newer supply chain solutions i'm talking about their old, old erp solutions are still being like the 2003 versions are still being actually used in some companies it's crazy for like inventory management and and a uh, purchase order and i you know you, you still have to like to install it is is what was the process but i mean but they've come a long ways and i haven't Obviously, I haven't really used too many of their recent, newer, I guess, ERPs, but yeah. Yeah, working with enterprise sales teams, and I have an interesting story around SAP that I want to share, but working with enterprise sales teams, I remember distinctly this one sales leader tell me at one point that the biggest force that you're fighting in any kind of sales cycle is stasis. It's the, it's the option of doing nothing that's the most lucrative. And the way to counter that is obviously through advances in technology and everything, but you really need to find kind of a, an emotional aspect of the technology that appeals to the problem set that, that your users are having. And that's kind of what helps close the gap. I remember studying SAP, I think it was R3 at the time when I was graduating, I did a, my master's degree in supply chain management. And one of the courses that I studied was just SAP R3. And I remember thinking, and this was like in the late uh, 2000s, right? So somewhere in the 2007, 2008 timeframe. I remember thinking like, this user interface is, is really horrible. And um, <laughs> yeah. the, the interesting <laughs> thing about that was that was the latest version, right? So that was like the, the lab at the time had, they, they prided themselves on the fact that they they had access to the latest version of SAP that a majority of the customers didn't even have access to. And just from an ERP standpoint, the amount of data that's in an ERP solution like SAP or Oracle, even if it's a legacy system, it's it's so... It's so hard for me to navigate. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I, and it's It makes it very complicated like to under... Like, yeah, especially when dealing with like purchase orders and and, and nobody wants to touch it. Like uh, they're they're just scared that something will break. And given that the system has been working for a while, they don't want to touch it. But the challenge then becomes that the the maintenance of these systems and the new functionality. Yeah, legacy. Exactly that 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 becomes the challenge. Then your organization is tied to whatever was implemented and then obviously any custom builds add a tag along more costs so there are and different right factors there, that kind of goes back to like what you and also what you said earlier like also on the uh you know legacy software is being left in so many companies and now 
when you know the time comes around for oh throwing around the buzzwords of digital transformation they don't know where to start because they have so much data silo backed up in in these applications and a lot of these larger companies that we don't even that are not so popular let's just say i mean they are popular but like they're not in tech right but they're large engineering maybe companies or they don't they've been through many accu acquisitions or mergers too so there's been loss of data i'm sure or, or they don't know who installed this 10 years when they worked and they've grown so like you know there's a lot of organizational you know problems that go into with keeping outdated software and, and uh, platforms is like a service like definitely in your organization and if you think about some of the acquisitions that happened in the space i know we talked about a few but let's talk about a couple more so makerpad obviously ben got his exit i was really happy for ben when zapier yep. acquired makerpad i see that yeah, he's still crazy. making courses on makerpad for how to use zapier <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting crazy. to see him still operate in the space but that's one marquee sort of creator acquisition yeah, he was on indie hackers yesterday actually so that was cool. oh really was cool. awesome. yeah it's cool to still see, see him educating like everybody and helping everybody still because he could easily i mean he, he had an exit he could he could have easily gone on a long couple year vacation and disappeared because you see some founders do that they'll get an exit and they disappear yeah and that's it but that's no, it's really cool to uh, see him still interacting with the community and yeah and and some of the other ones that i think you wanted to talk about were like botmock and appwire i knew about app appwire being acquired by sap but i hadn't heard of uh, botmock i didn't either actually until today i was doing some research and today and I, I found that one the other ones i knew i had heard about before but i i didn't know about that one i mean it's crazy i'm sure there's so many more out there like this that are acquired by companies that are as popular but walmart i mean walmart Walmart acquired Botmock. That's that's <laughs> yeah. really interesting. Like they acquired Jet.com. Yeah, I, I, that's what I found. So, but it, and the one that I didn't know about either that I found was this. I, I've never heard of eighty eighty labs, but Databricks, right? We know we know we all have heard of that. I mean, they're it's a huge billions dollar company, and so they acquired eighty uh, eighty labs. I didn't know that, which was technically a no code, you know, platform. So ADAD was interesting because it's more of a low-code, no-code, and they make tools that help with data exploration. And um, the thing with data exploration is typically you need to write queries and you need to be able to extract the data before you can... And, and then you used to have to convert it into like a business queue. Use like, I remember when I first started in the industry, OLAP was the big new thing and that was like online analytical processing where you would build a cube, a data cube that would allow you to visualize data in different formats. All of that has now improved by leaps and bounds. But Databricks, the parent company, was valued at recently at $38 billion by, by investors. And 8080 Labs was out of out of Germany building a no-code solution for data exploration and so on. So, I mean, it's interesting also, I think we need to do one on the location of these companies as well. Like a, that, a map. Exactly, a map view of all the software companies, uh, the no-code companies that got acquired because, uh, I mean, so many of these companies, you don't really know where they are until where they're based, until you actually look it up. I mean, one of the ones that we were talking about recently, I think it was AppGuire was actually... a a company out of out of Czechia, so it was a Czech company. Did and play with AppGyver like two years ago before they were acquired by SAP, and I, I tried it, but I yeah, definitely a learning curve too. It's more logic 
more logical for sure. My read of just the enterprise no-code space is that there's more proliferation waiting to happen. Airtable's really playing this space well in terms of the number of integrations that they have into existing solutions. And some of their backers are also large investors in other enterprises. So there's some benefits that come from VC funding, especially once you start getting into like your series E, series well, partnerships and marketing too. Because if you go to the add-on store, I mean, a lot of those add-ons are actually with our other large startups too that they partner with that can implement solutions in there. So it's a win-win for both. Yeah. Where do you see enterprise no code going in the future, Seth? Man, that's a great question. <laughs> I think there's definitely a hundred different answers or ways that you could try to think this might happen. And all these are just predictions. I mean, but with what we see now versus what chatter, people chatter and talk about, I, I definitely think that there are much other larger spaces in enterprise. Like if you'd actually segment enterprise, there are other spaces that I think that the startup industry has not even realized as potential markets. Well, there's some, I do know that Uncork is starting to move into federal and public sector, the space, maybe space that I work in it enterprise for public sector and defense and government, like aerospace yeah. type companies, which are large companies. If you have them as customers, that's, you know, large, that's a huge win. I'm talking about North, North of Grumman, Lockheed Martin, large companies. So I definitely see those kinds of markets and it's just, like you said, there's, there's culture differences here. So these startups, I mean, sometimes don't know how to approach those spaces, right? Because there's such a, uh, there's such a, uh, audited red tape process to get in to even become a, a vendor for those kinds of companies or anything like that. And the contracting government process, which is something I, I do, uh, you know, I've done proposals, contracts, I, I've far whatever regulations like I, I know all that stuff but it, it it doesn't mean it's easy and it's not necessarily fun so it, it's two different customers than you're, you're used to dealing with right Inter enterprise commercial is different than enterprise Op with, with the public sector yeah with the public sector in general your customer right. as far as freedom and what you can do even mm -hmm. the sales process you can't just go and sell to them that's not the way it's going to work i mean it, it's a hard customer to have <laughs> For sure, data. especially when it comes to sensitive sure. data. Yeah, um, compliance, everything. But yeah, I also think that we're going to see more adoption, obviously, within different enterprise fintech. You're definitely going to see, like, we see the no-code ops now is, is, is a big deal. It's, it's being implemented in all the other consumer startups. So I definitely see enterprise adopting it as well because most of the ops consist of pretty much everything in between marketing and development, I mean, which is yeah, a little bit of everything, MailChimp, hooking up your, your CRMs, your workflows, right? Systems. So I, I definitely see that. Also, I think that, I think that some of the low code, the complex like applications that we'll see that it will become like more verticalized in the next couple of years. Like there's some now that I'm sure maybe not all of the people that are focusing on consumer no code right now in, in you know, tech are aware of like, like Nintex and all these process automations, business workflow automators, like these tools are more verticalized, but I think we'll see even more verticalization as it starts to like be more adopted in enterprise. Like you'll actually see local tools that, that specialize in compliance or, or they do security scaling 
deployment. So it's actually going to be an enhancement for developers that work in enterprise because it's just going to be an add-on because they have to meet certain requirements, right? Before yeah. they can use those tools. And that's a whole other discussion is IT and enterprise. So I don't even want to get into that today. <laughs> but yeah, for sure. I definitely see now with COVID, everything happened. So what's it called? The, they're calling it the great resignation or something, I think. Yeah, I the great resignation. Uh, I think I mean, we're starting to get back on track. Yeah. The latest employment numbers are pretty good. Yeah, I, I've worked remote since 2018. So like, I guess I didn't really see or But I, I mean, I, I guess a lot of people... Definitely a lot of people either lost their jobs or they decided they wanted to become an entrepreneur, right? Or try something new or move yeah. into a new field, right? So skill sets change. So I, I definitely think that we talked about earlier, the, the supply of the, the software development of developers in general, there's still a lack and there's a more increasing need in the enterprise still. Yeah. I think that some of that in the consumer space is lightening up because the complexity is maybe a little less. But at the same time, in enterprise, because of those compliance and requirements, they still have a more increased need. And that supply is not changing for that demand that they need. So it's same. So I, once I think it's a culture, definitely, like I said, it's, it's mostly culture, you know, people that and workers that have worked somewhere for maybe millennials for us, it's easier, but like the other generations that are a little older than us, like they've been working with these same systems for a long time so like once it does become main mainstream i think giving developers and other citizen developers even though i really don't like that word but i'll use that for now uh, do you like the but, term no code do you think that's gonna stick mm, i think it's marketing yeah I think it's marketing. I think visual development or visual developer is a better term for sure. I don't and know. And I think some of those things you really can't predict. You just have to wait and see yeah. what, I mean, I, I really do think that it's, it changes every day. It, it seems like it changes every day. I don't know. I mean, at this point, after seeing it for so long, I don't, I don't really pay attention, but I like the term visual development, but even that term could be misinterpreted a little bit, I guess. What does visual development mean? It's when the code just makes itself when you stare at the screen that's that's the key right there i mean to when <laughs> our our artificial machine learning contact lens can you know there we go yeah tell now, it to do you know, something now you're either getting crazy futuristic or extremely creepy for a lot of the audience <laughs> right yeah yeah right i mean nah but yeah we're still years and years and years away if we ever get to that yeah, I still think so. I mean, I, I'm realistic, so I, I don't like when it comes to advanced technology like that. I, I think we're still a what good way, a good 30, 40 years away, easily. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, think thinking about enterprise no code though. Here's what I think is going to happen in the next five to ten years. Right now, we're at a stage where software companies are acquiring no code solutions with a way to just enabling their users to create apps but the end customers haven't been enabled yet. So that's, I think, the angle that we'll see in the next five to six years, where end users will be actually customer users that can then pick up these no-code blocks and, and build on top. All right, that was the show. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed it and got a ton out of it. If you did, there are two things you need to do. Number one, make sure you subscribe to the show to get notified when a new no-code story drops. And number two, I want to ask you a favor. 
Who's the one person you know who would absolutely benefit from hearing this story? Text them right now and send them to mynocodestory.com and reference this episode. Maybe they're an entrepreneur. Maybe they can use this episode to level up at their job. Or maybe they're just someone who loves creating new things. Do it. Subscribe and then send them the text. Make a difference. Thanks again and I'll see you on the next one.